Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip interviews business development coordinator Kristen Berry. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. All right, I am back with another episode of the Ask Philip podcast. And I must really like uh, CPAs because I'm having a lot of CPAs on my podcast like already and uh, and over the next few weeks. But um, and and today I am going to have Kristen Berry on um, the podcast. And uh, Kristen is unique. And, and I'm going to introduce her before she gets started because... Um, there, there are very few uh, CPAs that can like talk to people and look them in the look them in the eyes when they talk, and uh, and have a, a, an amazing ability to communicate. And and Kristen is one of them. So thanks for coming on the show, Kristen. Thank you for having me, Philip. I'm glad to be here this morning. What what made you decide to become a CPA and get to your current role? I have to give credit to my high school guidance counselor and. I remember going into her office. It was maybe my junior year. Kristen, what are your plans for school? What are you going to be doing, you know, after high school, university? I had no idea. I didn't even think I'd be going to school. And my guidance counselor said, Kristen, I really suggest that you look into accounting. She said that it was something that provided really stable job security. It could pay well. She even told me about her experience of working for the FBI as an accountant. And she, you know, I, I won't, you know, go into all the details of that, but she really was using that story to communicate that education on accounting can be so powerful and widely applicable. Um, so went to school about halfway through my college career, I got my first internship. I thought that it was so important to really understand what it was that I was studying because studying accounting by the book is so much different than doing it. And that I was told that that was really where you would get that. Are you doing the right thing? Is it not? So got my first accounting internship, started doing taxes and ended up working for that smaller firm in my hometown of Reno, Nevada. And worked for them for a total of five years and woke up one day and just knew that I didn't want to be there locally anymore. And I promise I'm getting to the, how'd you get to the CPA and how did you get to where you are today? So um, in the middle of August of 2013, I started looking for positions that were accounting positions throughout the United States and a headhunter in Houston, Texas found me. And I went to Houston. I met with the firm. They gave me an offer that I could not refuse. And I was in Houston, Texas, stepping foot through the front door of my first apartment there um, on October 30th of 2013. So I think that's so important because it shows that it really is so uh, just, it's such a powerful tool. I mean, I was on the other side of the country with you know, five years of experience is doing taxes and I could find a new place to go and a new job within a matter of a month and a half. That's just 
so incredible. Started auditing in Houston, Texas for Calvetti Ferguson. And in that time, I got my CPA license, which was a little bit of a tougher route for me. I think we all have our own experience <laughs> with this exam. And uh, maybe a couple of months after our uh, firm began to grow in DFW, my leadership team in Houston asked me if I would be open to taking a new role that they want they wanted to design just for me. And I would be doing business development, which essentially is finding new business for the firm and recruiting. So spent a few more months in Houston and came up to Dallas in February of 2019 and have been uh, since that time have have just been focused mainly on business development. So that's kind of how I got to so how did you get into accounting? How did you become a CPA? And how are you here now? And business development was something that was interesting to me in a way to apply what I had known and still be a part of public accounting in the middle market, which I love, and just do something new, something more creative in that same realm. Awesome. No, that, that's that's a pretty cool story. You got to... <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a question that's an internal house debate between me and my wife. It's not really a debate okay. anymore. I'm starting. I'm starting to win. She's kind of, she's kind of like come over to the sides. But you can you can choose not to answer. You can go political and you can say I don't want to answer. Which one do you like better, Houston or Dallas? You guys are not the only ones that have that. <laughs> <battle>. <laughs> Great question. I thought you were going to ask me which do you like better, Forrest Gump or Shawshank Redemption. That's my <laughs> internal battle question. So. Um, and I was nervous. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Houston is so special to me because it was the first time that I had made such a move on my own. I really love Houston's big magnolia trees, but they have them here too. Um, structurally, infrastructurally, I like Dallas better. I feel like you can get places more quickly. I think we have some really nice architecture here. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am going to say that even though I have a great love for Houston and I have very many loved ones in Houston, I am going to say that I like Dallas better. You know I'm just going to say it. Dallas, I usually try to dance around it, but people just want to know an answer. So I'll, I'll yeah. say Dallas for those reasons. You know what? That was a great answer because my pick was Houston, but your answer makes sense, especially when you said structurally, because like I'm from Houston. Houston's not a pretty city, not compared to Dallas. You know, and so and so since you said that, I was like, okay, I'll let her rock with that. You know, um, I like the I like the people and the culture in Houston better, but yeah, the city is not as it's not a pretty city. Like you can look you can look on one side of Houston, and if it wasn't like fog and stuff, you can see to the other side because it's like flat and not pretty. Uh, so. Well, too, I agree that there is a very friendly culture in Houston, maybe just on its own and especially in comparison to Dallas. However, the fact that it takes you an hour <laughs> round trip, just travel time really to get anywhere really puts a damper on things. Even on Saturdays, right? Even on Saturdays, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's why they like to maybe uh, just post up and party down there because they're like, it's going to be traffic anyways. Might as well stick around for a little while. Yeah, it is pretty terrible. 
I can't wait for Uber uh, Uber Helipass to come to Houston. Then maybe it'll oh. it'll help a bit. So we'll we'll get back to we'll get back to the show. So what is networking and why is it important? And let me clarify wh- why I'm asking the question because um, a I feel like networking is a lost art. I think people misunderstand the term networking, and I do think networking has has changed in some sense, but the principles are the same, right? And I think some people struggle with applying the old school principles that are time-tested, right, with, uh, you know, with the new digital world. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to, you know, give too much, but that's just kind of behind the question, like, why I'm asking it. I want to get your thoughts on it. Okay. I think this is also a really great question. And I'm so glad that you brought up that it's sort of, been changed over time and that there are some elements that are a little bit more historical that got lost. I think that networking means a lot of different things, but what I what I truly think it means is the activity of meeting someone, understanding something about them, being able to connect with that in your own way. And then being able to use that information moving forward for some sort of, you know, future activity. I think also that networking gets a bad rap. And I think that it gets a bad rap because oftentimes people who have not been exposed to networking before, it becomes this sort of like rushed, um, sort of murky, you have to go network, you have to go out there, meet people in front of them, shake their hands, say hi, and then ask you out to coffee in two months. Sure. But unless you get to the heart of why you're trying to meet that person or understanding more about them, you really lose out on what I think networking truly means. So let's say you're trying to find the stuffing that goes into pillows and you have had a really hard time trying to find that. Someone says, There's a networking event and you can go there and there's a bunch of different um, suppliers and and it's going to be great. Just go and say hi and just get in front of them. So you go and you just say hi to everybody and you get in front of them and you're shaking your hands or you're nervous and you can't make yourself do it. If you go in there and leave and you didn't ask one person about what it was that they made or someone that they knew that may make that pillow stuffing that you're looking for... It doesn't matter that you went to the event. You left that event almost exactly the same as you did when you entered it, not knowing anymore about those people there who could potentially help you get what you need. And then you get sort of this bad idea of what networking is. Like I went to this event and didn't get anything out of it. You have to go in and you have to be very intentional about it. And I think that there are varying degrees to that as well. Okay. What are your most effective ways to network like today in 2020, 2020? And I know we've had like a lost year where we had to network differently, but let's let's assume, let's, let's go back to, you know, spring 2020, you know, pre-spring, okay. pre-spring break when things closed down. What was your most effective networking tool? I will preface this with, I think that the right networking tool depends on the person that you're trying to network with. Mm. There must be considerations made. In 2020, I'll just say this, in 2020 and probably before, my I think my most effective networking tool is a phone call. 
and with people I know or introducing myself to people who said that they were open to having a phone call. I think phone calls are a, a media that you can better connect with someone because there maybe is less awkwardness in that face-to-face meeting. There's less of the, so, hey, how are you doing today? Like, how's the weather? Blah, blah, blah. There's less of that. And I think it allows people to be more comfortable to express themselves. And when you get that sort of formula going, it can be a really effective use of time because you're not leaving your office and then coming back. Nobody has to pick up the tab. It just creates a really kind of space and time that you guys are just joining and talking about what you said you were going to talk about and then moving on with the day. Mm. And, and this, this is another off the script uh, question, but I think you okay. probably have a good answer for it. I am a, a D personality Right. If you ever take the disc profile, right, I'm very, okay. you know, task oriented. You know, uh, okay. I like to build systems. I don't like to waste time. Uh, and I'm a millennial. Uh, I'm an okay. old millennial, but I'm a millennial. And so I'm also a millennial. Right. So that's why I'm asking you this question because you, cause <laughs> I, th- I think you can understand it. And so okay. if if somebody emails me and says. Hey, let's go grab coffee or let's hop on the phone call. And I don't know you and you've not given it any context around like what we're meeting about. And you're, I feel like you're trying to steal my time, right? My natural reaction is to be like, I don't, you're annoying me because you're trying to steal my okay. time, right? Uh-huh. So my first question is, A, is like, do you find that that normal, right, for for Nominal, you know, because I feel like it's always too. It's like an older generation that they don't mind like, you know, spending two hours over coffee, right? And I'm not saying it's sure. effective or not effective. I'm just saying like, like, why don't you just email me what we're going to meet about so I could put you in the bucket I need to put you in and allocate the amount of time I need to allocate it to. Um, so, so a, do you think it's like personality, generational, and then b, like, how do you effectively? network with people who think that way, right? Because my default is everybody feels that way, but obviously it's just me or I'm a, I'm, a, I'm one of the four buckets of people who might think that way. But yeah, I mean, if, if I, okay. I, I know the question is jumbled, but do you, you understand what I'm trying to ask? I think I understand what I'm, what you're trying to ask and I'll answer with what I think you're trying to ask. <laughs> if I don't quite make that mark, let me know. Okay. I think that I agree that millennials in general are somewhat less open to those, hey, Bob, let's get together sometime and hang out and get to know each other. I think that that's because even at the front end of the millennial generation or even at the tail end of the millennial generation, we are still coming into our own considering our careers. We're still building, so to speak. And I think that because networking is something that people pick up at different times in their careers, it's less like I found that it's sorry, that was my watch. <laughs> found that it's less likely that you're getting that let's network type of flavor at the beginning of your career. So I think that because we're busy building, maybe don't see the quote value in it. Millennials are less likely to just, Hey, let's get together. Um, And then on the other side of it, I think what you were asking was 
how can you appeal to someone that you're trying to reach out to that you don't know either all that well or may not have even met? How do you craft a message that allows enough space for them to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. Like you may be the person that's like, I only like to do lunches. I only like to meet in person. And you have no idea about what that recipient really wants or is even going to get close to open to. I suggest that when people happen upon that type of situation, give some options, Mm -hmm. right? And also, like you said, get specific about why it is that you want that person's time. And if you're not entirely certain, use something like, I see that we're serving similar clients, we're similar targets in the same market. I would appreciate the time to get together, introduce ourselves, see what, share what we're seeing in the market, share what we're seeing with our clients and see if there might be some interest to work together. So then you get into the place where you offer them a wide range. Like how do you get a wide enough funnel to let everybody in? Offer them some times. I'm available for coffee or a call at these times. I'm open for lunch on these dates. Allow that person the room to choose what works for them, right? Mm. So either like, well, this sounds kind of interesting. I might might be okay for a coffee. Whereas, you know, the next time that somebody does it, they're just only ready for a call. You just allow them that room to see where they can fit in is what my suggestion is. I, I love it. I don't know how you answered that question perfectly with the crazy way I asked it, but you answered it perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. I'm listening. Listening. <laughs> <laughs> so um, switching gears a little bit. So in the CPA world, right, you have you have the, and I don't want to put a percentage on it, but you have a lot of, most CPAs I talk to, you know, they're like doing auditing or they're filing taxes. And to be honest, a lot of, a lot of them who do it, like hate it and or they're scared of like computers you know, taking you know, taking their job, but but and but but then but then you you have the other CPAs that are like trusted advisors, like they're the ones that are involved in the client's planning. Like the clients call them for you know every major transaction they make, uh, life changes. Um, they're reviewing right. where they are. They're they're not necessarily maybe the financial planner or the wealth manager, but they're involved in it because as a wealth manager, you know, fifty percent of the questions that my you know high income, high net worth clients has when they're doing, when they're making a decision is how will this affect my, affect my taxes, right? And I find that a lot of CPAs are not proactively in the conversation. It's more like me bringing them in or the client bringing them in. So um, I know y'all have an advisory practice. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, 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 and is my assessment right? Like a lot of CPAs are moving towards or, you know, the successful ones moving towards advisory. And let me not say successful, you know what I mean? Like, are more of them considering being more in an advisory role than just the transactional auditing or filing type role? Yeah, I think I understand. I'm glad that you brought this question up or this topic because I think that you are seeing more of a shift, especially at the level where, students are leaving school and coming into the industry, there's a lot of, I want to work in advisory. So it used to be just tax or audit. You had to fit in one of those boxes. And now there's this new box of advisory. I think that students get pushed into, and even those 
who are at the beginning of their careers, whether they went to school or not, because I think one of the more interesting things about public accounting is that, and it's less frequent now, but when I joined the industry, there were many people who had been working in public accounting for a really long time, and they had never even gotten past like, you know, maybe an associate's degree, because it's really just a skill that you apply and that that intense uh, further education is not totally necessary. I think that's very interesting. And I, you know, that may be a different topic anyway. (laughs) Um, I think that students have been, students and people who are younger in their career have been pushed into one of those boxes, tax or audit, because when you boil it down, it can be easier to sell a product to someone. I am going to sell you tax. I am going to sell you your tax return. I am going to sell you this audit. It takes a long time to generate a message of, you may have a need that seems more of an advisory type need, and I can do that for you. And here are some examples of what I've done previously. That's sort of a more gray area than you file a tax return every year, or you need an audit every year. There's a a time and a place and a product, and that's so much easier to sell. And when you are training people how to do their jobs in real life, it is much easier to train them when you have a tax training or an audit training. One of my favorite things to remind students about is that when they are picking what they would like to do with their education and their time going forward to not forget that they are business people. They went to business school. Part of the tool set that they learned was accounting. So I think part of the switch of going into this more advisory type of C start is starting to reflect that. However, I believe that that's where you really reach the split, so to speak, between folks who have had those experiences and can train those other people, and then maybe the other side. I'll just put it that way. Um, I think that you're also right because as technology changes, the ability for people to make the tax work and the audit work just a matter of technology really will take away some of our ability to work. I don't know, though, that it cannot be remedied by a, listen, what you have here is not just a tax return every year. What are you looking to do with your time, your business? What do you want to pass along? What do you want to be doing in five years? So I think that if people who are in public accounting start to open themselves up more in that way, and less in the way of, I just do your tax return. Here it is. Take it. Here's your audit. Think about how you can be more involved with your clients rather than just providing them with those tax returns. So rather than saying, well, we, we have to just move to advisory. Well, it's not just advisory in some bucket on its own. It, you're really there to advise your client for taxes. Um, Perhaps there are um, management comment or management letter comments that they work through on the audit side that you can make suggestions for. It has to be about engaging with your client. And if that is something along with, say, networking, those are things that you haven't practiced before. They can be hard to integrate. Yep. 
No, that's a, that's a great answer because it, it rolls into the last question, last business question that I had that I think is as well because he, you know I'm I am um, you know for whatever reason like I'm in the crypto world like I'm in it I'm I'm bought sold I'm paid for I'm part of the revolution I'm not like one of these uh you know uh, 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 I'm not like what do you call these people that like drank the Kool Aid like I haven't drank the Kool Aid but I'm I'm definitely like like I'm going to service every week. You know what I mean? Like you've I'm, smelled the Kool Aid. Yeah, like I'm, 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 I'm in service, but if the pastor says drink the Kool Aid, I'm like, I'm not dying for this. Like, you're I'm not, not ready yet. Yeah, okay. I'm not, yeah, but but I'm but I'm in it. Like you know, own Bitcoin. Like I'm in it. I understand it. I think it's gonna take over the world. Um, but but uh, <laughs> okay. And, and and so I can I can see a point where you know, let's say ten years from now, fifteen years from now, especially when we have these uh, central bank digital currencies where you know, um, every transaction we do is reported to the blockchain, right? And the central, since we're going to be required to pay our taxes in central bank digital currency, then there's no need for filing taxes because it's kind of all automated, right? It's like, hey, you know, everything is reported on the blockchain for the transactions. Uh, Maybe you make an election every year for however you want to file, but it's like automatic, right? Taxes are kind of automatic, automatically paid along the way as we do all the transactions, net, net, and report. So like the technology is already built for it. It's just a matter of, you know, um, you know, for lack of better words, the, the older people in charge dying out, right? And the, you know, and, and I don't mean to sound ageism, but I just mean like if... I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, okay. And so, are CPAs thinking about that in the context of their their practice? Because, by the way, I also I don't I, I think it goes with the question we just answered. I think CPAs become in a more advisory role. Like, like you yeah. have you have Spotify. We still have DJs. So Spotify didn't eliminate DJs. It just enhanced um, the good DJs. Uh, experience so the good CPA that that can talk to people network be in an advisory yeah. role like it's going to help them but are, are CPAs thinking about that and what and what are your thoughts on that that's a really great question and I think that my answer for you is going to be sort of lame and sort of old school <laughs> accountant and I'll go ahead and say that I'm I'm speaking about this just on my own behalf you know nobody else and I actually had a, a similar uh, conversation at dinner last night, but more so along the lines of those more crypto asset type situations. I think that overall, based on what I understand, the big four public accounting firms are uh, deep in whatever blockchain has to possibly offer. I think that it's my, again, my own personal opinion that, especially in the middle market, I don't know that it is feasible for those types of firms to try to get their hands around how do we provide better using blockchain technology. It's almost, again, my own opinion, it is almost so high on the scale of technology that it would be cumbersome to attempt to try to change their business to be in that place. There, one of the one of the things about public or accounting, not just public accounting, but accounting, is that you have to find an efficient way to record keep. 
And I feel like where blockchain is right now and for accounting, in some respects, it is useful. And there are some businesses that can apply that and have the funds to get there. I just don't think it's that feasible um, right now. I do think that the the person who is a service provider to a client should understand enough about their client's business to be able to offer them places where they can go and get information about how they could be using blockchain to better their business. I think that if an accountant is a good networker, they're able to say, you know, listen, client Bob, I hear what you're saying. I would love to introduce you to my attorney that is very much involved with the new changes in blockchain. I think you guys could have an interesting conversation. Possibly he could share some information about his own clients that might help you out. I think that too, again, in my own opinion, that blockchain is sort of, it sort of got introduced and then it sort of got like, everybody tried to put their hands on it. (laughs) Like we have blockchain for this and blockchain for that and blah, blah, blah. And it's sort of like, belabors everything. I think blockchain is still a little bit ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we'll catch up there one day, but until clients are applying blockchain into their, into their businesses and how their businesses function and perform, I don't know that it's even all that necessary for their accountant to have to try to match that only just to understand it when it comes and be there as a resource if they have questions i hope that no yeah what you're asking yeah no i mean and i I didn't i didn't have a i didn't have a uh expected response but i think i think it was uh it was it it makes sense and i and i i actually like agree with that because it's you know um because i I didn't want the question to come off like accounts are going to be irrelevant i feel like like the analogy would be a lot of the older uh wealth managers were afraid of robo advisors when they came out 10 years ago because they were like oh man it was going to eliminate us and then you know but but me what? i you know um you know i was like no like with technology like there's the consumer that technology benefits and then there's mm-hmm. the there's the person who's closest to the client that technology benefits and what what gets destroyed or hurt in technology is the people that are in the middle that um that you that are no longer needed, meaning the client gets a better product, the mm-hmm. provider gets paid more if they embrace technology earlier, your profit margins go higher if you understand it. And I was like, so yeah. I was like, so for, for 10 years ago, without uh, automation to run my operation now with the amount of money I manage, I would need like a team of four or five people. You know, yeah. I was like, now I, I don't. Right. Uh, and I said, and technology is what benefited that. So it didn't it didn't remove the need for a wealth manager. I always say people need a DJ. Mm-hmm. And so just like like what you were yeah. saying, um, uh, I, I 100 percent agree because, A, it's early. Right. Um, it's way early. But, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's a it's a really uh, complex topic. And I think that I'm probably, you know, I'd probably give myself maybe a three and a half or four out of 10 on the, what do you know about blockchain technology scale? 
that's probably my bad. But I think though, um, the application of it is really what will dictate what service providers really need to understand. And, you know, there are a lot of public companies that are already using blockchain and, you know, their auditors can help them with that. It's just a very... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's comp- sort of space age to me, sorry. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I, I, and I feel the same way. I feel like I'm only at a four. I'm only at a four too. Because it's it's crazy, but I call okay. It, then I'm probably a two. Yeah, well, well, I, you know, you we you know we're probably similar, but I call it spotting zebras and hippos because it's so complex. I'm like I, I'm I'm always paying attention, but I just want to be able to like, and you said it. I just want to be able to pay attention so that when it hits me, like I'm not like, but it's like the analogy. Uh, if if you if you're out on a camping ground with somebody and a bear comes to your camping ground and attacks you. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just yeah. gotta outrun the person you're with. <laughs> sure. You know, let or them... you have to be you have to be aware that there is such a thing called a bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and be able to run, right? Yeah, like yeah. I think there is some preparation for it, but again, it's probably just a little further out. Yeah, yeah. No, d- definitely. What's your last question is favorite sport? What's your favorite um sport to watch or play? <laughs> Great question. My favorite sport to watch is um, two-on-two sand volleyball. So male or female. And uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's it's got enough action and sort of enough uh, variety, but it also doesn't have a whole lot going on because there's only four players. But usually it's interesting to me. (laughs) <laughs> I do love football. Don't get me wrong, but I think two on two uh, volleyball is my favorite to watch. Yeah, no, definitely. There's there's a Nintendo game I used to play. I can't remember the name of it. That that had that. Steve, Steve, my audio engineer, actually has a last question. Which do you like oh. better, Forrest Gump or Shawshank Redemption? Oh, good question. I am a Forrest Gump vote. What about you guys? I'm I'm Forrest Gump. I tried to watch Shawshank Redemption and I fell asleep every time. So Forrest Gump. For you sure. should try to watch it. It's a good one. It, 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 what does Steve say? Shawshank. Steve says Shawshank. Yeah, I I have found that people usually say Shawshank, and if I'm not wrong, they were actually both up for an Academy Award the same year. So mm. it's like a true. Which one do you take? Yeah, yeah. I try to watch it again. I tried. I just, I don't know why. I oh, you always. did? <laughs> and it's about... Um, I'm going to try again. About an accountant. So. Really? Is it, is, see, that shows you how, how how fast I went to sleep. I missed that part. I just, the, the, the part that I remember is when he like, didn't he like escape and he was in the rain and he was happy? That's the only part I was like. Mm, no. I think, I think you might be talking about the Green Mile. Uh, no, the accountant at the very end, he, he breaks through the sewer pipe in the rain. Uh, every time, every time there's lightning and thunder, he bangs on the sewer pipe to break it open so that he can escape. And to me, it's the good guy wins in the end. Mm. Yes. And he had his, um, rock hammer and it was, mm-hmm. you know, only so big. Yeah, that was, it really was a good movie. I just still don't know. Yeah, Forrest Gump was. It's like it, it, Forrest Gump was like 
I think one of the best movies of all time when you think about just how it was put together. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna go watch it now again. I even go to like the four, <laughs> I I even go to the uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp Place whenever I go to different places, and it's not it's not that great. I'm just I just love the movie that much. <laughs> the food is Nostalgia. not. Yeah. Well, um, well, we de- definitely appreciate you coming on, Sharon. Let let everybody know. So, um, just to be clear, everybody, Kristen helps guide the careers of young accountants, right? Do I have that right? I can be here for that. And I'm I'm open to it. I like to talk to students who are trying to get a better understanding of what public accounting might be like. And I try to share my experiences and learn about them and learn about what they're looking for to help give them, you know, my best advice. And my favorite thing about people's advice is that you can always listen and whether or not you choose to act on it is totally up to you. I think also having gone through my own experiences, it's tough when you're in school and you have teachers and your peer group and maybe different advisors. It's hard when maybe some of those answers don't really connect with you and that pool of available information can feel small. And so I'm here. Everyone can likely find me on LinkedIn and always open to trying to share information if I can. Awesome. Awesome. Well, y'all heard it. Look up Kristen Berry on LinkedIn. You, you might want to reference, uh, you know, ask Philip podcast if, if you message her. I don't know if you're like me, Kristen, like people, I got like over 8,000 uh, connections on LinkedIn. And, and now I just, I just stop, I just stop, um, taking requests if somebody doesn't like give me a message on why we should connect so 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 if if y'all want to know say hey i heard you on the ask Philip podcast so she won't just like ignore you and report you to linkedin as spam <laughs> maybe so i do have quite a few linkedin connections and i don't receive a huge volume of messages so usually when i receive messages i see them and I think it's very interesting too, because at what point does the information then that you get in your feed on LinkedIn really affect you when you have so many connections that maybe are not a part of your, you know, even normal operating year? And when do you make that choice? And do you go back through and just like, yeah, I wish like, I, I wish I had time. I do. I want to cleanse people because I, I just kept accepting at one point. And then it would, people would be like, hey, do you want to invest in my new deal? Or, hey, I got this. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not doing that. Like, stop. I'm like, I'm not requesting anybody. I guess they see yeah. wealth manager and they think we're going to get like some investment money from this guy. And I'm like, no, nah, it's not like that. It's not like that. <laughs> you got to try. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we'll enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, and um, we'll spring, spring break for Mansfield next week. So if it's spring break for y'all, have fun on spring break. And uh, we'll have to do it again one day. Thanks. Thank you. If you are interested in more information regarding audit, tax, or advisory services, you can look up Kristen Berry on LinkedIn. And that again is Kristen, C-R-I-S-T-I-N, Berry, B-A-R-R-Y, on LinkedIn. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time and the decision-making process around 
what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost no obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested to sign up for a time. Go to my website, StonehillWealthManagement.com and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. StonehillWealthManagement.com. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.